I don't get a, I don't get a, a opportunity to be around town very often. And so uh, get to meet people in town and go into gas stations and that kind of thing and hi and all this. And I've uh, developed a relationship with all the um, uh, people from India. There's these uh, Indians, okay, right over here at this gas station, right across the street from the church. They're neat. And uh, I've seen this before. They got these rows of people on their cash register. And uh, they all have the red dot right there in the middle. And uh, the, the, it comes down to this kid. And I've always wondered what that was. And I mean, I've been, man, they're making a ton off me on the whole Red Bull thing. So, I mean, I go in there about every day. So, uh, I felt like they owe me an explanation. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm the only one in there. And I said, like, hey, what's the deal with the guys, man? He's like, what? I said, yeah, the guy's there with the, with the dots. What's, what's the deal? One, and one's all really dressed up and this young kid. And the other one was this old man. And he says, oh, you know, and it's English, is struggling a little bit. And he goes, oh, that's my, uh, and he's bowing to it. And uh, I said, oh, that's your God. He said, that's right. And I said, uh, he goes, like your God. I said, yeah, my God's Jesus, hoping it would spark some conversation. And I said, so you have two gods. He goes, no, that one died. <laughs> and now I got that one. <laughs> and I should have laughed. But I just started busting out laughing. I was like, oh, so he's gone. And I said, is the new one better? And he was like, what? And then I had to get to service, so we didn't get to finish it. But I was hoping that what would come out of that would be, is your God dead? No, he's not. No, he's not. In fact, look real close. Look real close. He's living right here. Number two. I've been putting that to test. Is it this church this last week? And I, I don't know if it was depression. I don't know what it was. I go th- I'm so emotional. And uh, I'm half female. And so I go in, I'm in this place, I am, I'm feeling, emo- I'm feeling emotional, I don't know what it is, and I, I wanted to be there, I was excited to be there, I've never been to this church, and uh, they heard me at camp meeting three years ago, booked me, and I came, and all this, never been there, and um, I was just, I felt irritated, I know you probably never feel that way, but, so I took it out in the preaching, I didn't yell at them, I almost took it out on the preaching, and I said, I'm sick of this. So I grabbed my worst sermon. They not, only, they not only hate hearing it, I hate preaching it. And I said, I'm preaching that. I mean, do I really believe, just let you know in this mind what takes place. Honestly, Friday night, most important night, because the pastor says you've got to hit it tonight or they're not going to come back Saturday. And I just, I said, Jesus, if you don't come and move and you don't communicate this, I'm not carrying the load tonight. As if I carried any night. And, uh, man, he just, he just showed up on the scene and communicated his word. And he almost did the whole thing for me, and it was, it was wonderful. And when I came to training camp this year, I really wanted that. I really wanted that. And I don't know how you feel. You probably feel totally different than I do. But I, I really felt like we as a group, and I probably shouldn't include you in this, but I really felt like we as a group has been slipping. Like, I mean, you know, I hate entertaining people. I hate being in front of teenagers where they say, wow me, impress me, keep my attention. I hate that. I hate that. And uh, I don't want this to turn into that. Do you know what I'm saying? We're not here to entertain you, okay? I mean, we're here to seek with you, and we're figuring all this out with you, and, and what does Jesus look like in a human being, and what's he doing in us? And, man, I... I I just love to be able to come into a service like this and each and every one of us just absolutely focused on him saying, man, what, what do you need to do in me? Where, am I, where do I have the reins and you do not have the reins? 
I mean, could we do that tonight? Lord Jesus, we love you. And um, all preaching, praying, and praise aside, all that stuff, I just, it's a comfort beyond all comforts to know that you know the real me, that you're inside me, that you, you know my thoughts, you know my frustrations, you know my struggles and my quirkiness, and, and uh, you're fighting for me, and you're pulling for me, and, and uh, you know the real issues in my life, and you're providing and walking with, and um, you're the best friend I could ever have. And Jesus, tonight there are those of us perhaps who are in this place who just I just don't know if we know you on, on the level that you want us to. We're just not as a, a, it's the language, Lord. We're not as aware of you in our life. And could, the, could, it, could, it, could it be like Paul tonight? Could the eyes of our hearts be open? Could the scales fall from our eyes? And for the first time, we see another set of eyeballs looking back at us in the mirror. And, and you could do something radical in our marriages and radical in our, in our bodily drives and radical in our social life and in our work environment and in our planning and in our, the dealing with our finances and that uh, your voice would be heard over our voice and your leading and your guiding and your, uh, your power and provision and plan. So we love you tonight, Jesus. Have your way in these next few moments and we'll give you all the praise. In your name, amen. Begin the study of the book of James almost on a dare. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, in pushing me into James saying somebody in our group needed to walk through it and... Uh, I didn't want to do it, but I got sucked into it, and so um, we began to study it, and I'm really excited about it, because we're going to walk through this whole thing and, and, and outlining it, which is most of the, that's all the fun, just outlining the whole thing and, and working with it. And um, there was a number of things that intrigued me about James. Uh, first off, it's what everybody else was saying about it, that it was a book of what to do. And of course, he's writing to Christians, okay? It's not an evangelistic letter. He's writing, he's not convincing anybody. He's saying, hey, you're, he's writing to the global church of his day. He's a really influential guy. He's James, the brother of Jesus, pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Literally, historically, the most influential church at this time, um, Later on, when Ephesus springs up under John's ministry, started by Paul, take over by John, into the first century, it will become Ephesus, the largest church on the face of the planet and the most influential. Um, that Some believe, as I do, Theophilus came out of that, that, that church. I mean, it's going to be powerful. But at this time, mainly Jewish time and Christian history, we've got James, who's writing to the global church of his day. And he's talking about the message, and it develops. It's 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 intricate. He's he's attach, he, He's he's really uh, addressing social issues. I really loved the way that he introduced the book, and found that there wasn't too many that really dealt with it. In fact, there was no one who really dealt with it. Now, he uses the term servant, which is absolutely contrary to everything that's going to happen from verse two on. Every single time, twenty-one times after this, every single time a believer is mentioned in the church. Whether it's a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a grandma, grandpa, I mean, any relationship of any human being in the church, every single time, hands down, they're mentioned with family language. It's brother or sister. They talk about God as father. It's all family, child of God kind of stuff. And yet James introduces his letter with this term servant, which is not cheap, okay? Because when we're talking about being a Christian, 
and he, he deals with this and covers this. This is the message, Christ in you. The nature of Jesus is that of a servant. You cannot be focused on yourself. You can, Jesus living inside of you will be screaming at the top of his lungs, serve, serve, pour your life out, die for yourself, don't live for yourself. Okay? Don't, hey, it's, this is not about you. And so he introduces how you understand, how you, uh, how you recognize a real deal child of God is that they are a servant. Okay? That's a theme of the entire book. Now, when he gets into verses 2 through 4, which we looked at the other evening, he, he, uh, he begins to talk about uh, trials, temptations, perseverance, but it all culminates to verse 5 as this perfect work. And we didn't get to this the other night due to the limitations of time, but some of the illustrations of the perfect work that I'll just highlight is that the word perfect, as it's used both in James and the New Testament, um, is ascribed to the things that God produces. Uh, for instance, it's the perfect temple. It's the perfect sacrifice. Um, it was the uh, perfect gift, which is used in, 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 uh, in James. So when we're talking about perfect, we're not talking about activity like shot, hit the middle of the bullseye. We're talking about, again, source. That what's perfect, someone who's a perfect work, is someone who is sourced by, who is produced by God. So if I were to have the perfect conversation with my wife, okay, it wouldn't be that I say everything right. It would be everything right comes from him. Because, again, it's, it's, it's his deal. So the perfect sermon is not, do you see the switch in all of that? See, it's not, see, oh, and, and the way, my, my language for this, which is the proper language, is that uh, we, we oftentimes talk about Christianity and outside kinds of things, you know, and that's really strong today, you know. That's the kind of speakers that people want. How dynamic are they? You know, how good looking are they? Okay. How, uh, you know. And I qualify for most of that, but you know the the you know that disqualifies got a lot of people because the emphasis and again it and it does it, it makes you sick because the emphasis is not on outside stuff, okay? It's on content, which is why I get so ticked off. So I just wouldn't it be neat if he showed he showed up and it was his deal. And so a perfect work is not about outside expectations; it's about what comes from him, which is hard, really hard to mess up. So that's that's the point of verse of verses two, three, and four: that God desires us to be perfect. What does that mean? Produced by Him, okay? Not perfect activities. We are the perfect work, His workmanship, His craftsmanship. Other places say. Now he begins it by saying that we're to consider it pure joy that whenever we. Uh, face trials. And again, he's a really aggressive guy. Consider is a, is a military command. It's one of the 50 imperatives out of the 100 verses, which is hysterical. I still find it's the same joke. I laugh at it every time. This guy is really, really, really aggressive. I mean, you think we're bad. James was a fanatic, okay? Seriously, every other words, he's yelling, screaming at you. He says, consider this. I don't give you an option. Consider this. You're to be excited. This is what you're to really gets you going. This is what really excites you. Just wow kind of stuff. That this is what brings you joy. Trials. Not, and we walk through all the different kinds of trials. Not, you know, being beat up by my boss. That's external stuff. That doesn't make, you know, us excited. Okay? Sickness, disease. It's going through my household. Half everyone tonight, half one of everybody in my family is sick. Probably because all the freeloaders staying with us this week. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, 
which I'm not excited about either one of those situations, quite frankly, okay? That trial, that's not, this is a proving. It reveals, it proves, it discovers what's on the inside, the perfect work stuff. It discovers What's, 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 what produces is coming out of me? Notice what he says. We didn't explore this the other night, but he says, um, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith, the activity of the... Hey, he's going to test to see if it really... See, these circumstances will test to see if it really comes from him. If it doesn't come from him, it's not going to pass the test. I mean, is this really as simple as that? And that's so significant because he crunches perseverance right in here. And just, if you're not persevering, if you're not persevering, it tells you how tight you and Jesus are. I mean, that's just not preaching, praying stuff. That's just reality. I've fallen apart in my life in the past. I don't know if I should drag Nathan in this, but I'm not going down alone. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> that government stuff about all of our past, all of our history. Everything you've ever looked at on the Internet. They have that. Every phone call you've ever made, every FaceTime, every, every video chat. I mean, I don't even, I used to sit and watch on my phone. I don't, hey, when you know when I'm in the bathroom, I don't even do that anymore. It scares me to death. I mean, <laughs> all of that. Every time I look back in my life when I've, Falling apart, it's not because I'm evil or bad. I drifted away from Jesus. I took the reins, became arrogant, perhaps cocky, became about me. And maybe, and when you look at it in that light, it's my abilities. And if you've ever wondered why you fall flat on your face over and over and over and over and over, it slipped from his control to your control. Somewhere that trigger is snapped. You failed the test, you've been proven. <laughs> okay? Now, he begins in verses 2, 3, and 4 on this. Now, he comes into verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and he brings up a different topic, which is what I want to look at with you this evening. He begins in verse 5 by saying, But, okay, verse 5, If, if any of you lack wisdom, at times due to their writing style, they will say if, and, and it's a, uh, I think it's the rhetorical, if that's what the word I'm looking for. But it's, it's something you don't answer. It's like, if you, yes, if anyone lacks wisdom, the response would that be, we all lack wisdom. Okay, that's how, it's their writing style. Okay, so he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. And the word there, lacks, I found significant that that's a really cheap translation. In, in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it's translated needs. Okay, and the, 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 the reality is, you, every one of us lacks wisdom. Every one of us needs wisdom. Now, again, he's talking about the Christian lifestyle, overcoming, being sourced by God, Jesus living in my life. I'm being proven. What comes out of me? Is it of me or is it of him? These are the trials of my life. If you lack wisdom, yes, you lack wisdom, okay? Yes, you do. You need wisdom. And some of the practical things I was thinking tonight before I got up here was we come to these kind of places, beyond all the preaching and praying and praise and meeting and hey and all of this and writing notes, I mean, where are you most neat in your own life? If you could picture this, where are you sitting there going, I've got this big issue? Most of it, if you're like me, most of the time, these issues are things no one else sees. See, what, what am I going to do about this? 
Maybe it's, and sometimes for me, it's, it's a problem that presents itself. And that doesn't bother me too much. What really bothers me is the stuff that's been there that I've never solved. What are you, you going to do about that? You don't have to do anything with it. I don't care. I'm not your pastor. Thank God. Uh, but uh, I'm leaving on Sunday. But what are you going to do with that? Seriously, beyond all the preaching and praising and woohoo cross-style conference stuff, you go home. What are you going to do about that? See, what information are you going to plug in? Where's the A plus B equals C stuff for your life? Really, when this really comes down to it, this is cross-style training camp stuff that matters to us, guys like me. Connecting the dots. See, where's the wisdom for this, Jesus? What do you have to say about this? I'm so tired of this in my life. See, what, what is this going to look like? Any of you lacks wisdom, he says. Let him ask. When you get into the scriptures, before we look at, there's three aspects or three parts of this wisdom. It's really neat. But when you get in the scriptures, you're going to find two kinds of wisdom. And I figured you would find, like the contrasting stuff that's consistently pictured, I figured you'd find good wisdom and bad wisdom. You don't. Wisdom typically is not bad. Okay? Now, you have knowledge that's bad. Okay? But wisdom is not typically. I mean, it's just you have two different kinds. One kind of wisdom, it's not bad wisdom, but it's human intellect. And it's even advisable on certain levels, okay? Uh, so it, it's the human reason. It's the, it's the, um, the Ab- Abraham idea. Uh, Abraham has, uh, God has come to him and said, listen, giving him this command. Abraham's reasoning it out, okay? Wisdom, he's thinking through this whole deal. God says, go take your son and sacrifice him. And Hebrews passage tells us that he reasoned. He thought that thing through using all of his life experience, all of his, all of his intellect, all of his smarts. See, how do I, that, that, none of that's evil. We do that every day. We have that. The scriptures talk about that. It's not bad. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I learned. Um, I learned about fighting. I, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't fought. I haven't sucker punched anybody in the mall and, months, <laughs> you know, so it's not something, I'm kidding, I haven't, see, I haven't fought in a long time, but I learned some really valuable knowledge, okay, when the militias start rising, and, and the, you know, few doomsday, whatever, I, see, when I watch those TV shows, I'm thinking, yeah, I know which camp I'm joining, okay, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and when I think about my training in the military, one of the aspects of wisdom in a life or death situation on the battlefield, number one principle is be first. Be first. Okay? You don't have to be stronger. Just make sure you get the first shot in the hardest. Nine times out of ten, you're going to win. Or it gets broke up. Either way, it's going to work out real well for you. Okay? That's wisdom. Okay? It's wisdom. Doesn't necessarily apply here, but it's an example, okay, of human wisdom. Okay? That's, and it, literally, that's not bad. In a war situation, hey, we're, you're going to learn that. That's a, that's, a, that's a deal. And there's other aspects of wisdom. We can talk about this all night. Won't do it. But uh, I was a, uh, three times when I was a child, thought this was interesting. Three times as a child, I'd attempted abductions upon my life where people came in and tried to grab me. And, uh, yeah, I've never really talked to you guys about that before. But um, it taught me wisdom. Seriously. 
I had this eye always for those scenarios and, and watching, and literally it was, it was this, that kind of wisdom is all over the New Testament here's what, and the Old Testament. Now, here's what's really neat. When you, when you research this kind of wisdom, reason, okay, putting things together, it's not talked about. And I thought that was really neat. It's not talked about as bad. It's just inadequate. It's just inadequate. It's by its very nature. I've, I've ran across this phrase two or three times this last six months or so, where Jesus looks at, not Jesus, God looks at someone and says, you can't run with horses. How can you run with me? I mean, come on. It wasn't like you're bad. It's just you're inadequate. And so the wisdom that he's talking about, again, if you remember, the whole context of this is sourcing. Everything you should and will ever hear from this pulpit has to do with what is produced by Jesus. Christianity, in the most basic statement, is Christ in you. There is no other form of it, period. Okay. So anytime you hear anything from this pulpit, that's the ring and tone of it. So when we're talking about a wisdom, it's a wisdom that comes from him. It's his wisdom. So when he says, you, those of you who lack wisdom, he's talking about the wisdom of God. Now, here's what's really significant about the wisdom of God. It's almost elusive. It's not like, here's the wisdom of God, and then it's explained. It changes. It's not a formula. God's wisdom is not A plus B equals C. You say, how do, well, how do you know? Because you have one circumstance where God's wisdom does this, similar, if not the exact same circumstance comes later, and he does something totally different. You're like, well, that's confusing. Here, I wrote that down. Man, I thought I'd just apply that right here. That's, that's not his wisdom. And not only is it, is it always changing, it's always different. It doesn't compute, it doesn't wash with human reason. <laughs> you say, what do you mean? I feel like, again, I, I feel like I'm always catching up. I, the whole Noah story, I've been reliving. Like the song that he sang about the I thing, I never sang that song, okay? <laughs> That's the first time I ever saw that. I mean, I'm looking at you guys, are you guys really saying that? That's pathetic, okay? I've never heard of that song. I was singing Three's Company, Two. You remember that song? That heathen song you guys couldn't sing? <laughs> they never heard that song. That's because I was a heathen kid, Okay? So a lot of these Bible stories, I didn't go to vacation Bible school. I, I've used this joke that when I got, got saved, I looked in the Bible, found my name in there. It's a true story. I grew up my entire life hating the name Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I heard that all the way through school. Okay? But I only heard it once from each individual. <laughs> I heard it once. But I hated the name Jeremiah. Okay? I did. I hated the name Jeremiah. And um, for a variety of reasons, the bicycle tags, I had to settle for Jeremy or Jerry or something. And I get saved, and man, I'm special, and, and uh, open up the Bible, and behold, I get the last laugh. There's a, there's a book in there with my name on it. And um, so as a young Christian, I'm learning about all of this stuff, and I go through and I'm looking at some of these old Bible stories that you guys all heard about. Noah. See, the whole Noah deal. I didn't know that it never rained. That is absolutely bizarre. Really. 
that got reason. We're talking about wisdom. God comes to Noah. I told you this before, but it's so fun. We'll say it again. God comes to Noah and says, man, phew, you're going to love this, Noah. Noah's like, what's on? What's going on? God says, I'm, I, I think I'm going to build a boat. Got this hankering for a boat. We're going to do a boat thing. And Noah says, hey, I'm about it. I'm a hairdresser, but hey, I'm in, I'm in if you want me to do it, you know, because I don't believe he was a carpenter. There's no evidence of that. Is there evidence of that? Is Noah a carpenter? I didn't think so. So I say hairdresser. So God comes and says, hey, I want to build a boat. I want to build a boat. If you, if you go to the store, he says, I want to build a boat. Noah says, hey, I'm down. God gives him the plans. Noah's like, dude, this sucker's huge. Seriously, this is, this is the biggest boat I've ever seen. God says, yeah, I know. It's going to take 120 years to build it. That's ridiculous. I had no idea. And there was not power saws. I mean, you know. And he says, well, this is never going to fit in the lake. God says, no, we're not going to put it in the lake. I want you to go five miles outside of town in the middle of the desert. And Noah is like, we are never going to get that thing to water. <laughs> Read the story. We are never going to get that thing to water. And God says his reason. He says, oh, you've never seen this. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to have water fall from the sky. We're going to put seven of every unclean and two of every, seven of every clean and two of every unclean in that thing. Noah says, I, how in the world? I don't have the manpower. God says, they're going to show up. That logic, that reason, you look, we talk about Gideon's army. That's no more ridiculous than the Battle of Jericho. Got this strategic, I'm military. Got this strategic plan. I want you to march in, scream, get aggressive, and then just run around the city once. <laughs> run off. Come back the next day. Do it again. Seven days. See, where's the reason and logic in that? You can't, you can't reproduce that. Okay? So when we're talking about his wisdom, I wonder if it's special and perfect just simply because it's his. It's the only conclusion you're left with. There's no repetitive. There's no rhyme. It doesn't wash with us. In fact, most people in the Old Testament, if not all of them, and even in the New Testament, are absolutely shocked you will be as well. When God comes in the middle of your marriage and you say, we're in trouble, and God says, I've got an idea, and you're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. He can hear me, he can hear me thinking, can he? Because it's not going to wash. I've got an idea down at your job. I've got an idea for that police officer that watches and looks for you. I've got an idea for the economy and your money. It's not going to wash. This is just typical. Okay. He introduces wisdom. That's the kind of wisdom we're talking about. I want to give you three quick ideas. Need to hurry. Not really. There are uh, ones in verse 5, ones in verse 6, ones in verse 7. Verse 5. I want to talk to you about the amount. And it's bountiful. The amount and it's bountiful. Listen to what he says. In verse 5, he says... If any of you lacks wisdom, and it's you do, he should ask God who gives generously. Gives generously is a Greek word. This is the only place in the entire Bible where this word is used. 
It's the idea of gives generously is, man, that is such good coffee. I think I'd like a little bit more. I'm a little bit afraid to ask. I mean, come on, it's that Kerrig thing. <laughs> They're like $4 a thing. And, but I really like that. Do you care if I have another cup, another cup? And they come, and they pour your cup, and it goes over the cup, onto the table, onto the floor, onto your jeans. It's bountiful. And then they slam the thing beside you with five or six of them there and says, hey, you have at the whole deal. That's the gives generously. It's lavish. It's ridiculous. It's overboard. It's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. That's this word. Generously. I mean, it's just have at it. Now, again, we're talking about wisdom, okay? That's stuff that belongs only to him. He doesn't hoard it. He doesn't hide it. Most of the time in Christianity, this is something I've been dealing with, we, we make God sound a lot like us. We put conditions on God. And there's one, supposedly, and I've heard this in this passage. He gives generously to all without finding fault. I mean, if you're a screw-up, you're not getting the Kerrig stuff, <laughs> okay? You're getting the Folgers Instant or Sanka. Remember Sanka? You're getting Sanka. <laughs> you're getting Sanka, all right? If, hey, but if you're without fault, he gives generously to all without finding fault. When you get in the original language, that is a horrific translation. The emphasis of finding fault is not on those who receive the wisdom. The finding fault is on God's act of giving the wisdom. You'd say, well, how does that work? Here's the proper translation. God gives more than enough wisdom with sincerity, without hesitation, without grumbling, and with no error to whoever wants it. I thought that was phenomenal. You can sit there like a bump on a log if you want to. That's great, that's great stuff. In other words, that's, that's to whoever wants it. By the way, you, we, got the, we got the gist of that in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, when he's talking about those who are of the Gentiles. They are without, because he's been yelling at them. He's been speaking to them. I mean, he's, he's, been, he's been just dumping his wisdom. In fact, one of the things we've been toying with, and I probably got this out of order. I got carried away. Go back with me. I apologize. Go back with me to John chapter uh, 16. I did get this out of order. <clears throat> the, the term wisdom, I should have covered this a second ago. The term wisdom as exclusively belonging to him. Stay with me, please. The term wisdom that is exclusively belonging to him is so unique that my personal feeling is that it deserves new terminology. And some of the new terminology that, that you've seen me use in, in teaching on saturation Bible study that you've seen me use even today in terms of the word um, is I like this perspective idea. Um, I think his wisdom is simply how he sees in that moment what he shows me. Okay, It's this seeing Okay, it's this perspective. You say, where did you pick that up? Well, it's everywhere, first off. But in John 16, and, and chapters 14, 15, and 16, I hope one day I'll get to be able to preach through this because if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is a is mind-boggling response, they've got all this detail. We saw the outline this week. I mean, all the detail of, of what's leading in and the content and all of that. And I mean, it's just blow your mind. And... Uh, there's one verse given to the response. <laughs> the people heard it. There's one verse. That's it. They're just like, 
And that's all he writes. And then just goes right on with the whole story. I mean, in Pentecost, at least they were cut to the heart and repented. At least said, there's like two verses. But in Pentecost, or at the Sermon on the Mount, that's, that's unbelievable. There's, there's, there's no altar call. They just stood there like absolutely, like they all had heart attacks. Okay? If that's that kind of, wow, this is the opposite. Okay? 14, 15, and 16, the opposite. That was at the beginning. This is at what they think is going to go to the next level. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I've got to go. I'm out of here. So you have the extreme of that, but in the depravity, the, 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 the depression, the unsettling, the, I mean, all that you can imagine. The, I don't want to use the term divorce, but it's the tearing away of a person who's been with them for three years. Do you follow me? That's the whole context of this. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've got to go. And I want to pick this up with you, this new terminology on wisdom, beginning in verse... Um, Really quickly, verse 5. Uh, uh, now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Okay? And NIV translation there, it's an understatement. Verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I go away. Listen to this. <laughs> he says, it's for your good that I go away. Oh, y- Listen, I've, I've got to get out of here. Verse uh, Continue on verse 7. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will, and there's two roles to the, Holy, uh, to the counselor, the Holy Spirit, two roles that he plays. There's a role for the world, the ungodly, and there's the role for the church. You'll notice conviction is for the world. It's not for the church. Why doesn't he convict you? You're not a convict. If you're a convict and you feel conviction, because a convict doesn't describe a believer. And so he talks about the role in the world, verses 8, 9, 10, 11. Then he comes down to verse 12. Listen to this. This is, the, this is the wisdom. This is the reason. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. When, the, when he, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And all belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Verse 16. Listen to this. In a a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. He's gone on this, Jesus has gone on this extended dialogue saying, listen, I've got to go, stay with me, because the Holy Spirit's going to come, okay, he's going to move inside, he's going to, hey, he's going to convict the world of sin, he's going to crawl down inside of him all over him, he's going to convict the world of sin, but to those of you who are mine, okay, filled with that spirit, he's going to guide you, that's wisdom talk, that's, it's not similar, it's not the same word, but it's, it's guiding, he's going to guide you into all truth, And then he gives them an application. He says, for example, uh, in a little while, you're not going to see me. And then after a little while, you're going to see me. It's not like hide and seek, okay? And and I've heard people say, yeah, oh, yeah, well, a little while, he's going to be killed. And then three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And that's what he's he's talking about. Some say, no, 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 no. Uh, In a little while, he's going to die, raise from the dead, but they'll see him. And then he's going to go away, and then at the resurrection, they'll see him. There are two different Greek words for see, 
There is the seeing Jesus in the physical, and then there's the seeing Jesus through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That's our word. New terminology. Changes their perspective. The word for see, the first word, in a little while you will not see me anymore. That's the word therao, which is to look at. On Monday, I will not see you anymore. Well, I'll be in Wisconsin. It's a word. But then he says, <laughs> in a little while, you will harao me, which means perceive. You'll understand. Which Jesus looks at them and says, listen, you've spent three years with me, but in a few days, in ten days, you're going to see me in a way that you've never saw me before. You're all confused now, but when the wisdom of the Spirit, when the resource of the Spirit moves inside of your life, He's going to open your eyes in a way. Because before that point, they're not bad, but they've been operating out of their own, which wasn't evil. And they've got all kinds of information that other people don't have. But Jesus says, listen, I have to go because I'm going to move you from here to here. So some of the new terminology, do you follow that? That's remarkable, which tells us you and I can know Jesus. Well, you've heard this already this week. You and I can know Jesus better than the disciples did when Jesus was with them physically, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. Okay? So this new terminology, we're not talking about wisdom that's, that's again, to, to reiterate this, it's not wisdom that is, that is formula, that's this kind of this, uh, liquid that he pours on you that's the same. It's his perception. It's, it's the way he sees. So when he says here uh, that the amount is bountiful, that he's going to dump on you, give more than enough, you understand God's perspective is everywhere. He's lavished it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, he's lavished his perspective. Even at the lowest level, don't kill. Everyone knows that. Don't lie. Don't steal. In other words, there's no qualifications on that. It's not it's not when he says um, he gives generously to all without finding fault. If you're, if, you're, if you're worthy, I'll give you wisdom. No, his giving, his perspective is never faulty. If you need wisdom and you do, he is just going to just take his perspective and wash you in it. In other words, listen, the resistance to wisdom, his insight comes from you, not him. You don't have to beg him for it. Okay? First, first, first. Verse, verse 5. This, that's the amount, which is bountiful. The second one is the attitude, which is this begging idea of the Christian. Uh, he says in verse six, 6, but when he asks, that Greek, this is so neat. You're going to like this. Try to be contained. The Greek word asks, <laughs> this is so neat. The Greek word asks can also be translated in two other ways. Actually, it can be translated like 10 other ways, but the, the, number, the top three are like asks, Beg and pray. And I thought that was so unique. I went and looked up all the ways, the different... Do you know how many Greek words there are for pray in the New Testament? More than I could find. A variety of words. But they all have this idea, again, of perception and wisdom. You don't pray for things. You pray for... Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you should pray. I want to see my world the way you see my, my world. I want to see my circumstances the way you see my circumstances. My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's this, it, it's, it's asking. It's, see, the attitude is asking and praying. You don't come to God saying, I need wisdom to fix that woman. I need, I, need, I need wisdom to get out from underneath that boss. It's coming to that, I need wisdom for that teenager. I need wisdom for my finances. i got to get out of this situation. See, the wisdom he's talking about is, Jesus, I, man, I'm coming, and I know you want to lavish it on me, and, and my, my wisdom is not enough, my inside. I'm not dumb, but my, my past experiences are not, are not going to get me out of this. I desperately, I'm seeking and praying. I need your insight on this. I need your perspective on this, which changes everything real personal with you. Maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, I thought when I got older, certain bodily drives would decrease. Finding that not to be true. Finding that not to be In other words, I would wait it out. I would wait certain things out. Uh, I would outgrow things. That's true uh, sexually. That's true with anger. It's true with anger. All those kinds of things. You don't wait it out. You don't pray that it'll go away. Jesus, just take those feelings away. I don't want them anymore. I'll sacrifice. No, that's never going to happen. It's in the Jesus, can I see the way you do, and the circumstances, the people, my body, every, it, all of that changes, and you see through his eyes. And that's, that's the way through the, see, that, that's the way to victory. Are you with me? See, that, that's the way to overcoming. It's, there's no sidestepping it. There's no going around it. There's no magical cream that, boop, it's all fixed. It's perspective. It's perspective. Uh, the, my relationship with my dad before he died. I never understood. I, I never had a dad. I get, I get so jealous is probably the right word of people who have fathers that are involved. I was at a church in Missouri a few weeks ago. Guy's preaching. His dad moved there, and he's been there for 15 years with him, and they live together, and he's a phenomenal man of God, and he mentors his son. And I look at his boy, and I'm, just on the, I'm, just, I'm under the impression he takes it for granted. And I've never had that. Always wanted that judgmental toward my father and before he died it he didn't just come down and hocus pocus change my father but he opened my eyes and i saw my dad in a way i'd never saw him before and i was changed and the circumstances were changed and healing took place really forgiveness took place really so he changed no he didn't i did i did no no magic cream okay no, beat him into shape. I tried that. See, none of that works. So when he's talking about this, this attitude that you have as a Christian, this begging, this asking, this praying, it's looking at him saying, I'm, hey, I'm under the impression that the only chance I got is to see the way you see and feel the way you feel and get into your perspective for my life. Wisdom. That's the second thing. The third thing is mentioned in verse, the middle of verse 6 into verse 7. But when he asks, he must believe. This is the assurance to believe. I mean, this is, you can count on this. We're Nazarenes, so we don't bet. But you could bet on this if you wanted to. This is a done deal. This is a sure thing, okay? 
He says, you, he says, but when he asks and prays and asks for this insight, he must believe. He must trust. In other words, the insight you give, the perspective you share, I'm going to lean on that. I'm going to grab a hold of that. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap my arms around that, and I'm not going to doubt. And what doubt is is saying, well, I really appreciate you answering me, but that doesn't fit in my plan. <laughs> that, that is, that's really not the way I see things. In fact, that's not going to work at all the way I had things figured out. That's what doubt is. And he uses the same illustration that was in the imagery of, of Peter walking across the wind and the waves. And your wisdom's not bad, but there's no telling where that's going to lead you. Let me give you an opportunity to process some of this. Everything in my life as a Christian has been absolutely opposite to what I thought it would be. Literally. Thought I would get saved, and all of a sudden I would become smarter. I thought he would take away certain things. He would implement other things. I interpreted new creation that I would, I mean, less of me, more of him. And it, there really hasn't been less of me. <laughs> okay? And those who have watched me grow, they've watched the same Jeremiah stay. I've just stopped, if the word is, I've just stopped participating in. I've stopped relying on I've allowed a new thought to come in my life in areas of my life I've allowed his perspective to come and there's been a routine and Nathan talked about this morning someone asked him does saturation Bible study ever get easier I think it does walking with Jesus there's a pattern you can't figure out what he's going to do but after a while you're under the impression that whatever he says is going to be wonderful I don't know what he's going to do with this, and he's probably going to shock me like he always does. But it's not, it's like his word brings healing. Do you have that tonight? He's not going to change your wife. And you can live in a cold shower. He's not going to take away your sex drive. The answer is not the lottery. He's not. He's not going to do those things. Would you be willing tonight to say, listen, I'm in need of wisdom. I've got a whole store of street smarts. And I do too. And it's not bad. And they're very helpful. But they're not enough. They're not adequate. And he wants to lavish upon you his insights. More than enough. You just ask him in prayer. I want, to see, I want to see through your eyes. And when he opens your eyes and gives you insight, don't doubt. Don't say, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Let me see how that fits into here. But just wrap your arms around it. Embrace that perspective. And it becomes the power that changes your world and changes your life. Sean's going to come, and we're going to have a, a time of seeking tonight. And and we really want to be intentional about this this evening and we want to give you an opportunity to just really be real. Ask him in the hardest questions. A few weeks ago I was in Oregon. This kid came up to me and conveyed, he confided in me and dealing with homosexuality and Why? 
And I probably was too flippant with him, but I just said, ask him. Have you knelt and asked him? I, I'm not an answer man. I don't know. Where'd the dinosaurs come from? Beats me. They weren't on the ark. I don't know. Have you asked him? Have you drug him in the midst of what you're, t- what you're going through and just say, open my eyes, shed your perspective on this. I'm dying to see how you, I'm dying to see how you see this. And if he speaks to you, respond. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word tonight. I want to live by your wisdom. James, writing to the global church of the day, Jesus, your your younger brother, he spoke of your resource barging into our intellect. A reason that comes in that's not reasonable. A sense that comes in that's not sensible. Half the time it's opposite. But when your lips part and you speak and your mind is opened, your word transforms everything. And Lord, there's there's those of us here this evening that we don't need more sermons. We don't need more preaching and praying and praise. As significant as it is in your body, we need your insight. We need your voice in our marriage. So many times, Lord, I'm under the impression that we as Christians don't do bad things. But as a Christian, it's, as long as it's good, it's easy to justify anything. I wonder what you would say about the priority of being a father to your kids, about being a mother to your kids, about being a husband to your wife. We, would you speak to us on that level tonight? I'm, get really aggressive with us. Thumb your nose in my business, Jesus. Would you have your way tonight? Would you shock us with your perspective? Open our eyes where we don't see the way you see. We want the scales to fall off tonight, Lord. And we'll respond. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You need to respond tonight. Not like, yeah, respond every week. Wow, every service, been that, that's... No, I'm talking about, do you need to respond tonight? Would you be willing to give up your perspective for his perspective? We've also said it like this. Would you be willing to give up a former thought for a new thought? Well, Jeremiah, what I, didn't, what I did wasn't wrong. What if it's not about wrong? There's very little in Christianity that has to do with right and wrong. Well, the person I'm with is not bad. What if it's not about bad? It's about him and his. It's his leading. It's his guiding. It's perspective. It's his his wisdom. 